Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast, where we exist to meet God, grow in Him, and serve through Him. Welcome back to the C3 Podcast. This is Nathan. And I'm Derek. Hey, thank you for sticking with us. We know that podcasting is a relatively new endeavor for both of us, and we appreciate you uh, ignoring all the times that we do dumb things and making sure to emphasize all the times that we do right things. And we've had a lot of positive feedback, which is, one, surprising, but also very, <laughs> very good for, yes. for my psyche to continue that this is a, a somewhat worthwhile endeavor. Absolutely. I'm just I'm I'm glad to know that people have been interested in listening to these things and and again I don't think necessarily because of any great thoughts from you or I necessarily but just to be having these conversations I think is extremely helpful as I think a church speaking body. for yourself would be a good thing well, here yeah. because everything that I say gold <laughs> Every single thing that I say. Every yeah. single thing. I, I hold very loosely to my own opinion, which is, I, I suppose, something helpful when we talk about things that are as, as heavy as what we're going to talk about today. Sure. But first, I want to just inject a little bit of levity into our conversation. Derek, what are some musical artists or songs or records that you just can't get enough of right now? Ooh, right now. Um, I, you know, I'm a big fan of John Mark McMillan. He is one of my, um, from, from really getting serious about my faith in college to now, he has kind of been a prominent artist for a lot of that for me, and his songs have just really... A couple of songs that people might be familiar with that we sing at church are Future Past sure. and How He Loves. Yeah. So he Both wrote How He them. Loves. It was made famous by the David Crowder Band um, and other people. And but, the controversy of yes. Sloppy Wet Kiss right. and the Bridge. Yes, yeah. or Unforeseen. Yeah, um, but he just really writes from what I feel is a, a raw and just emotional place that I feel I connect to a lot of. Um, and so he put out a record... Um, uh, it's probably it's probably last year sometime, but um, that that I've I've enjoyed, and so um, when you say record, I actually do the whole like the record vinyls. player thing in vinyls, so I actually do um, have that and put that on quite a bit. I I'm really looking forward to now. That's um, called Peopled with Dreams, correct. right? That album is yes. called Peopled with Dreams. That is a very solid one. Um, I also am really looking forward to, as we're recording this, by the time this comes out, this album will be out, but as we're recording this, there's a new album that's going to be coming out by a gentleman by the name of Andy Squires, which is another very similar um, type of artist and writer that I'm really looking forward to. Definitely like a folk Americana kind of thing going on for both of them. You have talked, actually, I think you've talked on the podcast about a song off of People with Dreams called The Road, the Rocks, and the Weeds. Mm -hmm. And... I always think that, I suppose, I, like, how do you choose the songs that you gravitate toward? Is it, like, that song that speaks to a problem that you've had in your life that you're just like, yes, I needed someone to say this in a way that I could relate to, or, or what? And maybe just talk about why why that song has resonated with you so much. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's two two things. I think one is, is that. Um, and a lot of times I think I find... 
albums, like whole albums are, are, I find more that direction of this speaks to like the point of life that I'm going through, or maybe takes me back to a specific point in my life. If I listen to something that um, previously, cause just maybe you connect some emotional uh, memories or something to that. Um, but I would say that song really for me, another, another thing that really draws me to music is when it kind of looks at things through a new, a new lens and kind of makes me think, um, I kind of like to be challenged by the music I listen to as well. And so with that one, you know, it kind of takes this look at how is Jesus different than like the Greek gods and goddesses that, that people worshiped and, and, you know, and then also at the same time wrestling with that question of like, why isn't God showing up in some difficult situations or it doesn't seem like he is or feel like he is. And, you know, one of the lines in the song is I don't have the answers for all of life's questions, you know, whether it's cancer or a skin knee for a little kid. But I know this, I have a savior who, who suffers them with me, who is right there in the midst of the problem, um, who came down from his clouds, you know, came down from Olympus, you know, that Zeus would never do this. He, he was always the God up above and, and um, Jesus came into the mud in the midst of life with his people. And that's really what sets him apart from, from so many other godlike figures that we see throughout history or mythology. And so, um, you know, just kind of the way that he presented that song and the look at, at those two things of kind of that hard question of where is God in this? And then how does he compare to these other godlike figures throughout history? Just really, um, just really made me think. And, and so that kind of drew me to that song specifically. I know that there are several people, maybe they listen to this podcast or maybe they don't, that are interested in apologetics. Uh I'm not terribly interested in apologetics, but that song makes me think about when Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says that the the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and or. I can't remember the exact wordage, like stumbling block to the Gentiles and a scandal to the Jews or something yeah. like that. Um, because the the whole idea of that song is God suffers with us. Yeah. And of the things that you would be trying to fabricate a religion around in like first century Palestine, mm-hmm. a God executed by the state might not be like the <laughs> strongest thing. So that kind of helps me to yeah. like remember the reality of Christianity. You mm-hmm. know, I I don't I don't like arguing like here are all the reasonable things yeah. why you should believe because I think that faith is is somewhat stronger. Sure. If you're just like at some point I'm not gonna understand, mm-hmm. but I don't need to because yeah. I've experienced like the life and the love of Christ revealed to me both through his spirit and through the scriptures. Yeah. So like I think that that's a really, really powerful thing to remember that like Jesus has been through yeah. what we go through. <laughs> so you, you know, yeah. there's with in regards to that song, I you know, I think it gave a more modern day look at the the verse of Jesus wept, you know, where right. we talk about Jesus, Jesus weeping with people as Lazarus has died, even though he knows he's going to resurrect him. Um, but it gave that that idea, and especially, you know, when he talks about, you know, I don't have the answers for all of life's questions and hurt knees and cancer. You know, I, I personally had melanoma right. on the side of my head a couple years ago, and that was a trying time for me faith-wise of just kind of like, how does God fit into this? But I had this kind of overwhelming peace that I knew everything was going to be okay. I didn't know whether that meant I was going to be okay as as I'm going to be healed from this, it's going to be gone and I'm going to be fine, which ended up being the case, or 
if this is the way that I'm going to go, I'm going to be okay with that. And my family's going to be okay. I just had a sense of peace about it. And really like that song helped to kind of put into words that feeling that I had, because I was like, I really can't understand, but it was kind of that feeling of like, Jesus was right there with me sitting next to me. And like, I didn't know all the answers, but I knew that everything was going to be okay somehow. And so I think that, you know, that's probably something that helps me to connect to that song as well. Good. Listen to that record. It will make you a a better person. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but you know, it'll make you have a more enjoyable afternoon. You know, I'll I'll stand by it. Opening up your musical experiences and trying to learn something through them. And I will agree. It's always a good thing. If if there's somebody who can make you a better person, it's probably John Mark. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get with it. Okay, so we're we're continuing our little series on like the essentials that we believe yeah. at the church. This time we're going to go through the sacrament of communion, or it's referred to as the Lord's Supper yeah. in maybe more high church liturgical places. It's referred to as the Eucharist. Um, first and foremost, can we just kind of pin, peel back the layer on what does the word sacrament sure. actually mean? Yeah, so sacrament is is kind of what's considered like a religious ritual or um, thing that happens in in your faith, and and most often we see that because it is directed through Scripture and and from Jesus, especially when we're talking about baptism and the Eucharist or communion. Right. Um, they are they are directed in Scripture from Jesus Himself, and so um, it is an important sacrament of, of a Christian lifestyle because it was directed by Jesus. Yeah, more specifically, we have two sacraments that we, separate, right. that we celebrate at the Church, whereas uh, I believe the Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments. I think you're right. Don't quote me on that. I don't know, and I want to like represent... The Roman Catholic Church in the best actual light. We may disagree, but they have a long history of people who are far more knowledgeable than I am talking about stuff like that. But I think it's seven. Um, so I'll have to ask my wife. Margaret actually grew up Roman Catholic. So yeah. imagine that. That's a, a fairly common thing around Hayes. I'm it sure is. we have a lot of people who attend our church who are have their roots in the Roman Catholic Church and, and yeah. maybe are, are wondering about like, okay, how do we kind of reconcile those differences in between our sure. churches? So let's just jump right into it. Where in the Bible does it talk about communion or the Lord's Supper, and where is where is the command of Jesus when he says, you should do it this way? Yeah, so we, we see this in, in the Gospels. We see it uh, recorded. Um, it's called the Lord's Supper right. um, when we look back at it from... From a theological perspective of, of Jesus sitting around a table um, right before he's going to be going to the cross. And on the night that the he night, was betrayed, right, right? On the night he was betrayed. Um, he is sitting around the table with his disciples, and and he goes through this process, and he says, to do this as often as you eat and drink in remembrance of me, of taking uh, bread, which would have been more like a wafer or a cracker in that day, um, and broke it and said, this is my body. And... Um, then he took the cup, which would have been wine, and said, "This is this is my blood." And and then, you know, eat and drink as often as you do this in remembrance of me. And so, 
Um, that's where the whole idea comes from, is because, again, it's a command from Jesus. As often as you eat, as often as you drink, when you're gathering together to, to do this in remembrance of me. Right. And, you know, this, this is happening when Jerusalem is celebrating the Passover. Passover. So we have some really interesting, like, archetypal yeah. um, metaphors that are happening here, right? So during the Passover, it was celebrated that you were to kill a lamb and then to put its blood over right. your, your doorpost so that the angel of death would pass by you, or at least this was what happened um, prior to the Exodus yeah. um, when the the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. So this this was done every year in remembrance right, of exactly. that. It, in essence, this would have been a sacrament of theirs at right. the time, would mm-hmm. have been That's a, a really ritual good way to thing look at they it. did yeah. every year to remember God delivering right. them from that. Right, and very, very similarly now, we look at the Lord's Supper, the elements of the Lord's Supper, and remember God's sacrifice right. For our salvation, for our restoration and reconciliation, Correct. so I think that one of the the real kickers for for this is kind of the question: you know, how is God present in the Lord's Supper? What is He doing? And there's such a a wide range of ways that the church has thought about this and talked about this, and this is probably going to be the place where we are going to see denominational lines start to form a little bit more. I just want to read our what we have on our website as yep. our statement of faith, and, the, and this is what it says. This sacrament, uh, speaking about communion or the Lord's Supper, is a chance to celebrate the new life that we have in Christ, remember the sacrifice He made for us, and to reflect on how to become more like Him. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us, and the grape juice reminds us of his blood that was spilled for it. First, before we answer this question about like what is God doing and how is he, he present, mm-hmm. I do want to, again, emphasize what we did in baptism, that we, what we emphasized in regards to baptism, yeah. that the medium is far less important than the metaphor. You know, yeah. Jesus used wine, mm-hmm. but we use grape juice. Yeah. It doesn't matter, whether it's wine or grape juice. Uh And one of the reasons that we do that is in Romans 14, it says that we should not supply stumbling blocks to a brother or a sister. And we know that there are people in our church who have struggled with alcoholism, and we don't want to do something to put a stumbling block in front of that person, hypothetically. So we use grape juice. It's ubiquitous. 99% of the people can... like drink grape juice unless you have a, mm-hmm. a really strange allergy. If you do, right. let us know. We'll find yeah. something else, I'm sure. sure. Um, but but the medium, how we take communion, is far less important than what we're remembering, the metaphor, Absolutely. right? So, well, And this was this was something that became even more important for us to, to be aware of and mm-hmm. to to understand and communicate to people right. when we when we moved well when we start having online services yeah. but then specifically during a pandemic when we had to close the building and everybody yeah. was doing it on their home was is it more important that they have the specific crackers that we have at the church and the juice that we have at the church to take communion or is it that this is a symbolic representation of what Jesus has done for us we're doing it out of submission and reverence to him and so whether it's a cracker a loaf of Hawaiian bread, a yes. you know, a, yes. uh, of Wonder Kid bread. If it's a apple juice or grape juice or wine or, or water, water yeah. um, you know, 
it it wasn't about what the actual substance was. It's about why we're doing it and the the heart behind it. And so, right. um, you know, it's not wrong to take communion in your home while you're watching an online service. You know, again, it's one of those things that's great to do as a as a church family together when we can and when we can be in person. But but at the same time, it doesn't mean that it doesn't count if you're not in the room partaking the exact elements that we have available. A couple things that stand out that set our church apart from hypothetically another church. Sure. First and foremost, it doesn't have to be a wafer and wine. Right. Second, it doesn't have to be done at our church, meaning that a, a priest doesn't have to bless the elements. Right. I am very like I am the non-denominational poster boy, right. which means I've never been in a church that does things in a very liturgical right. sense. So I always think it's really beautiful to see a priest bless uh, the elements. Uh-huh. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that there's a lot of biblical precedent for a priest having to bless something. Sure. But that is a way that a listener potentially has seen it done before. Why so, doesn't a priest have to bless the the elements? Yeah. Well, because Jesus said, as often as you eat and as often as you drink, do this in remembrance right. of me. He, you know, Again, this is where he didn't say, you have to do it with this type of bread, you have to do it with wine, and you need to have someone who is spiritually superior to you who is giving it to you. Um, you know, again, not that there is inherently a lot of things that are wrong with that. I grew up in the Lutheran church and we went through a, a um, course called catechism to take communion. Mm-hmm. And the way that we would take communion in the specific Lutheran church that I was at is we would get ushered up to the altar at the front of the, of the worship space and we would kneel down as the pastor would walk along, and he would set a he would set a wafer on our tongue as we stuck it out. And then sometimes it was a common cup that would be given. Imagine this in COVID times. <laughs> there was a common cup that would that everyone could drink out of and would be wiped. Um, and then, but it really got more to the individual cups that he was handing out. By the time I was old enough to do it. Um, and you know there is there's definitely a difference in in that in as far as um, what happens. There, there's a little bit more reverence, I think, that naturally comes when you're walking forward and kneeling down and having right. a pastor or priest or um, someone like that giving it to you. But at the same time, I wasn't making much of the decision other that when the usher got there and nodded his head at my row, I was going to get up and walk forward. Right. And and I was waiting for it the the process to happen to me instead of being a part of the the, the process of choosing when I'm personally ready to go and take communion and and how that process happens. So I think there's, again, these are differences of how to yeah. go about the process, not necessarily this is the right way, this is the wrong way. Exactly. And I think that there are positive things and negative things about any sure. style. Like like I mentioned, I've never been a part of a church that does things in, in a more formal style. Yeah. So I'm always... It, it's a it's a more reverent experience for me, yeah. in all honesty, because I love the idea of the shepherd of the congregation right. being a part of it. You know, it's not necessarily feasible, especially in our current time, yeah. obviously, and in the way that we do that. And there are people in our church that have been burned by um, by communities like that that yeah. that we don't need to. To do it, but yeah, you're absolutely right. This, these are more questions about medium rather yep. than the metaphor. So, circumnavigating, kind of getting back to, um, 
how God is present in the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. there's a couple of ways that the church has thought about that. One of the first ways that the church thought about communion was the doctrine of transubstantiation, and that's the idea that as the priest blesses the elements, that they become the body and the blood of Jesus, not in form, but in essence. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of Platonic philosophy going on there that we don't necessarily have to get into, but we don't agree with the doctrine of transubstantiation. Why? You know, again, I think it it just goes back to um, what do we see in how Jesus presents it. Jesus does not say that this bread is now becoming my body and this wine is now becoming my blood, but he uses them as representations for his body that will be broken, his blood that will be spilled. And and so in in looking at that example, we see that it is a something that is referencing to Jesus's sacrifice for us, something that is um, representative of that, not becoming that. Right. I think that it's good to to think about like problem passages with our interpretation, yeah. like John six, and in John six, Jesus is speaking to some of the religious leaders of the time, and he says that, no, my blood is true drink, and my body is true flesh. And he uses the word flesh as opposed to meal to to have a more visceral reaction. Sure. You know, I, I wonder if the the church is saying, or the, the religious leaders of the time were thinking, like, Jesus is talking about cannibalism here. Sure. So how do we go about reconciling places where man, it, it really sounds like Jesus is talking about something literal about his body happening. You know, I, I think, again, this is where, you know, we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, the context of, of what is, is being discussed is so important. And like, like you said, um, you know, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't recall exactly what the um, conversation is that this is happening in, but if, if the Pharisees... There's, there's probably some context. Anytime that Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, there's some context here that he is, is pointing out why their way of thinking is wrong or why they're taking something and they're trying to twist and manipulate the words that they've heard or the things that they've seen to, to kind of fit their motives more than the motives of God. And so um, I, I, don't, I don't specifically know, Nathan, on, on that passage where um, the context is there, but... The beautiful thing about living in 2021 yes. is that you and I don't necessarily have to know. Yes. Because there are so many scholars yeah. with a wealth of information that we can consult in Absolutely. good faith. And we don't, you know, the church doesn't need more like ad hoc answers to really, really honest questions, but Mm -hmm. it needs really deep dives. So I have a couple of Bibles and commentaries that actually talk about this. And first and foremost, 
Awesome. There is something that has just totally shifted my mind that I that I thought about, uh, or it, not that I thought about, that was um, something that a pastor said in a podcast that I was listening to. And Jesus' most poignant criticisms of the Pharisees occur because, you know, Jesus is a Jew. Yeah. He is most closely aligned with the Pharisaical tradition right. of thinking. So the Pharisees... Two that are mentioned in the Bible are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees don't believe in bodily resurrection. Yeah. The Pharisees do. So Jesus, while very, very similar in a lot of respects, differs from the Pharisaical traditions in terms of their praxis, right? They tended to act like the holiest people in <laughs> in, right. in their time, and, and Jesus is, is frustrated with that. They're talking specifically about manna mm. um, that God provides from the desert, yeah. and and Jesus in his in the style of rabbis in this certain time, it's called the midrash, is liking to contrast the old and the new. Yeah, and the old kind of thing is happening where the manna was temporary, right? right? But Jesus, the bread that he is giving is something that is going to be eternal. Right. Um, he's talking about the idea of himself as the sacrificial lamb of Passover, right? right. The Passover lamb was always eaten, yeah. and uh, the, the blood wasn't necessarily like you didn't drink the blood or anything like right. that. That would have been a practice that would have been... Uh, Described as an abomination in sure. the Levitical laws, so that wasn't necessary. But Jesus is talking about himself as the Passover lamb, right. needing to be the thing that is sacrificed for the sins of Israel. Mm -hmm. And as we see, and God reveals to us that the sacrifice is not just for Israel, but it is for the world. You know, you take it a, a ubiquitous verse like John three sixteen: "For right. God so loved Israel, right. for God so loved what? No." For God so loved the world that he gave his son as the, the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. So when we look at that in its context, we're seeing that, yes, like Jesus is the archetypal sacrificial lamb. It's not saying like you become a cannibal, right? right? Which, you know, I think is one of the things that people who were listening intently to Jesus would have immediately jumped to. Sure. You know, Jesus describes himself as a vine and a gate. Right. Uh, and he doesn't mean that he's literally those things sure. either. So it's important to always realize that, you know, the language is a little bit different between then and now. We yeah. typically use metaphor and simile far more than, than we... And say it's like this, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, your love is like a water metaphor is like the, the classic Christian line, yeah. right, in a song. But, yeah. um, but Jesus would typically more say something. I am this. I am yeah. this. My body is this. Very right? true. So, if if we're not people who are saying that communion is the physical presence of Jesus. You know, God is interacting with us somehow through this. So, what do we typically teach as as a church that how God is interacting with the the Lord's Supper? 
you know, I, I think that one of the things that that we really focus on here at the church is that this is a a time of of remembrance of what what God has done for us through His His Son Jesus, but is also a time for us to kind of reevaluate ourselves and and how we approach the the Lord's table, how we approach communion, because you know we are told in in Scripture um, to not present ourselves in an unworthy manner, and that uh, you know we should have pure hearts as we we take communion and and I believe it was um, Paul as he's talking to um, the church in Corinthians in first Corinthians he he t- tells them to avoid taking communion in an unworthy manner because what we what we see happening at the church in in Corinthians is we see, they have taken this communion and they have taken what Jesus has instructed them to do and they have made it this thing like a, a party. Like, a, yeah. you know, first of all, they are only giving it to the rich and the famous, yeah, in essence. That's exactly right. They are only giving it to the upper people and they are they're gorging themselves on, on communion, on the Lord's Supper, and they're not leaving anything for those who are lower than them. Right. And they're also using so much they're becoming drunk. And mm-hmm. so we see that this is a very unworthy manner of taking communion. Right. Um, the way that we interpret that for us today is is that when what Paul was saying is, you know, we're to be doing this out of reverence to God. Like that's mm-hmm. the point of communion. That's the point of of this. And so, um, you know, one of the ways that that I feel it's important for us to, um, when we talk about, you know, where does God show up in the uh, midst of communion is, it's to, to ask him to reveal to us those areas where maybe we're um, not worthy right now. Maybe we have a sin in our life that we need to confess to him and, and be made right before him, before taking communion. Maybe we need to, um, you know, make something right with someone else because we've done something against them. Um, you know, some of the most powerful conversations around communion that I've had with people are, I just don't feel like I'm in the right place to take communion right now because I'm struggling with this. Right. And to be real honest, like that's that's a really admirable thing to not just take communion because, hey, it's what we're supposed to do and this is the part of the service and they said to go up and grab it and take it, but to actually be purposeful and thoughtful in it. I think is a huge part of of kind of allowing God into that process of communion and showing up in in it for for uh, me personally anyway. That's that I think is the the thing that that sometimes would be easy to just go. You know, <laughs> I don't feel that close to God, and I don't think, but I'm going to take communion anyway just because we're supposed to. Um, I don't. I don't know that that's accomplishing what we want communion to be, yeah. um, because that's not really in reverence of God. That's just kind of, hey, this is the next thing that's happening during the service, and so I just do it because I'm supposed to. Yeah. Perhaps a way to reframe that with uh-huh. a a <laughs> a more worshipful posture of heart, right, is for those who feel unworthy is to go ahead and take communion because communion is that metaphor of the method by which God has cleansed us, yeah. right? And 
the thing that's important, as it was with baptism, is the heart posture. Right. You know, if you're doing it because it's rote and it's just the same thing that you do after song to every single service, right. then there's there's really no point in it. You're absolutely yeah. right, right that we should examine ourselves, mm-hmm. not to the point where we're just browbeating at how sure, terrible absolutely. we are. But if, if know, that was the case, nobody would be taking communion. One hundred because we're all we're all going to fall short. And so it's not about perfection by yeah. any any means. It is it is making sure, or that we, we just don't would just see it. the spiritual narcissists, right? right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's nothing yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a powerful reminder that in the midst of the the conviction that comes from the spirit, and it's not conviction that makes us feel subhuman, yeah. right? But it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Mm-hmm. And a powerful metaphor of repentance is taking communion, sure. is remembering the sacrifice that covers us. Yeah. Um, so maybe God is is present in that. You know, we we typically describe God as omnipresent, right? Right. Always available everywhere. Um, John Calvin, one of the reformers, talked about God being spiritually present in communion rather than some sort of physically or metaphysically present, um, which shouldn't be something that is less powerful. It should be a powerful truth to know that, like, somehow... God is here with me, maybe not like turning into the different <laughs> parts of of right. of the the ingredients that I ingest, but God is there with me yeah. and and he is near to me and to remind myself of that is important. Yeah. You know, you you mentioned a couple of times that the the biblical witness Paul tells us every time we gather yeah. to take communion. Is it something that is wrong of us to skip out on communion? Or is there, you know, I'm just trying to think of some of those questions that, that someone sure. might have that are like, okay, I don't necessarily want to take communion during COVID. Or right. I, or the person who's feeling convicted, I, I don't feel like I'm I should take communion this week. Is that something that God is going to judge, or how 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 often is enough? Sure. You know, I think that this kind of goes back to what we talked about with the sacrament of baptism as well. Of uh, this is not a salvation issue, right? This is a instruction that we're given that as followers we are to do this. Um, but we're not told that, you know, if you don't do it at least 70% of the time, you're not going to get into heaven. It, it's not one of those things. This, again, is is one of those heart posture things. And so, uh, you know, I, I do I do think that it's important that we we take communion because we are told as, as often as you eat and you drink and, you know, when you gather. Um, but if you're not comfortable doing that in the, the setting of around a bunch of people, you can have communion on a on a Monday evening at your house. You know, it, it doesn't. Again, we don't have to be doing it at the church building or at that specific time during the church service. I think it's just this this thing that we do, and again, in remembrance and in reverence of of Jesus. And so, um, you know, it's not a it's not a specific rule of how many times or what specific times we do it. In a lot of ways, I think that it would be really, really helpful if 
the writers of the Bible had included like an index <laughs> of, yeah, hey, hey how, how are we supposed to do all these things all the time? We're not right. afforded that luxury. But I, you know, one of the most like liberating things to me is God is a redeemer of the ordinary. Right. You know, how ordinary in a meal are bread and wine or right. bread and juice. But yeah. God invites us into a sacred mystery that is somewhat far beyond that. And like, there's nothing special about our physical location as well. So right. communion can be equally wonderful in a room with the rest of your church community, or it can be just like yeah. dinner time. Yeah. And God invites us to remember like how he has chosen to be reconciled to us yeah. in that way. So, you know, instead of trying to satisfy the spiritual requirement, right. and I think that 90% of questions about sacraments are trying to do that. And I right. think that they're in good faith. Sure. You know, people want to be able to practice things rightly. Yeah. Um, but instead of thinking about like how do I how do I do this the right way, like there's such a liberating effect of God meets you how you're how you are able to do it. Right. Um, and, and it's better in that way because it's a redemption of not only like the eternal, like thing that is happening, but it's also a redemption of just that simple, ordinary, like cooking a meal and eating a meal with your family every single night that God invites you into a sacred space in the midst of something so menial. And that's the, that's the context of looking at what Jesus did when he did it. Bread and wine were not these these reserved delicacies for right. the most elite. You know, who's Jesus eating with? He's eating with his disciples, right. who we know are not the richest of the richest. They are the ones that were, for the most part, were the most looked down on by society. The poorest, they didn't have a lot. What we see is that the the bread and the wine were staples in in meals for everyone at that time. And so, what Jesus is saying is. I know you got bread. I know you got wine. Do this in remembrance of me. You're exactly right. It is it is a a staple that is available to everyone, and that's that's another part of what he's doing here. Is saying that his sacrifice, his body, his blood, is not reserved for certain people, but it is available to all. I think something you you mentioned something really powerful of the table as a universal reconciler. Mm. It's not only a reminder of God reconciling to us, but we are reconciled to each Mm -hmm. other as well. I mean, think of the fact that Matthew, the tax collector, is right next to Simon the Zealot, the person who would have literally been like, tax collectors need to die because they are like desecrating the Jewish image by like co-opting with the empire. So not only, you know, I think that Rightfully so, the cross is one of the biggest emblems of our faith. I think the the table should be one as well, mm, yeah. right? Because it's not only this reminder of like vertical reconciliation of God and us, now we're good through Jesus, right? right? But it's also the place where everyone comes and is the same. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we talked about Jesus being archetypal of the Passover lamb, but I also think that like the Lord's Supper is archetypal of eternity. Sure. And the thing that I hold as an anchor to the soul, I don't 
get too into the like, what's heaven going to be like? Am I going to still be married? Is Tim right. Tebow going to be there? That kind of stuff. Clearly. But, <laughs> yes. I mean, he has to be. But the the image that like gets me through is uh-huh. just a table of mm-hmm. unknown length where there are going to be so many different nations and, and tongues seated there in the place that Jesus has prepared for us. And that's just like, that is like the the anchor to my soul. Sure. Is to remember that I am made right with the rest of humanity to sit at this table and to eat the bread and to drink the juice. And and at that table, all are equal. And why? Because of the maker of the table and the one who has prepared the table and who has made the things that are available at the table available to each and every one of us. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Super powerful. May we hopefully invite ourselves and give ourselves the the spiritual imagination Mm. to approach something that we do every single week just like that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.